Hi church, uh, it's good to see you. No, this is still a little bit different. Uh, we are coming to you on the third floor at Trinity. Um, last time we did this in my office, but uh, this time, uh, at least we're meeting on third floor for really good reasons, really exciting reasons. Um, our, my office is just too loud right now. We've got the renovation is hard uh, underway and there's bangs and booms and all kinds of things going on, which is very exciting. Um, so we're glad that you can meet with us in this way. Uh, we wanted to make sure that if you can't join us at South Broadway, that we continue to provide um, the sermon uh, for you because we love you. And this is an important time together. Um, as we get started, let's, uh, let's go the, to the Lord in prayer. Father, um, we're grateful for the technology that can bring us together even when uh, we're separated. Um, Father, we, uh, we're grateful for all that you're doing in us and through us. We're grateful for all the exciting things that are happening in our church. Um, Father, we know this has been a difficult season for everybody all around the world. But Father, we have found you faithful and good and strong and with us. Father, we pray uh, over our time together that God, even though this is different, your word never changes. And so Father, we, we expect you to do great things as we listen to your word. And so Father, we pray that you pre prepare our hearts to understand you and what you're saying to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, a few weeks ago, we started a sermon series on the church where we talked about what is church. Last week, we talked about how important unity is uh, for the church, for our message, for our love for one another, uh, that God wants us to love one another, be close to each other, be unified together despite our differences. And today we're going to ask this question, why in the world are we so focused on this book here? What makes this book so special? We're going to be together in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, 2 Timothy is towards the back of the Bible. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to a young pastor. Uh, I connect really well to the letters to Timothy. Um, he's much like me, young pastor, trying his best uh, to lead a church and to minister to a church family. Uh, so I really connect well with, with these, um, these letters. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be in little number 14. We're going to spill over into chapter 4 as well in just a moment. But have you ever wondered that? Why in the world do we spend so much time about, uh, around this book? Uh, why do we preach about it? Why do we teach about it? Why do we gather around it in small groups? Why do we uh, read it with our children at home? Uh, what makes this book so very special? That's what we're going to talk about today. And so I hope, I hope you found it. If not, you can just pause this video and get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. If you're there, let's read it together. It goes like this. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Don't think, don't think the Bible isn't for kids. Timothy from childhood has been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. Since this is true, what should Timothy be doing at church? What should the church be about? What should the pastor be about? Chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and complete teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate. They will gather for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, their own lusts, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And we're going to stop right there for right now. So why is this book so important to us? Well, Paul tells Timothy, and he tells us through his letter to Timothy, he says this, the Bible's so important. What, what, what's the big deal? This is the big deal. The Bible is God's spoken invitation to righteousness in this life and salvation in the next. That's what he says. The Bible is so important because it is God's spoken invitation. He says it like this. It's so, such beautiful language. Scripture, he says, all Scripture is God-breathed. Isn't that beautiful? Is God-breathed. What does this mean? Well, of course it means, first and foremost, that this book here, all Scripture, all Scripture has its origin has been created, has been made, not by man. It has been made, created by God. God doesn't read the work of Paul and approves it, gives it a stamp of approval. He doesn't think Paul's a good enough guy, he could take care of it. Yeah, we'll call that the Bible. No, God brings these words in front of us. It comes from God. And also what we need to notice, it's God-breathed. God doesn't send an email. He doesn't just write a letter and put it in the mail. No, the image is this, His breath. He breathes it out. That's a picture of intimacy. It's a very intimate thing. Someone's breath on you or near you is very intimate. There are only four people in the whole world that I'm okay with their breath being on me. My wife and my three kids. I'm okay with their breath being on me. But that's it. Because that's a very intimate thing. And so the picture is, God is not far away from this word. It's not an afterthought. He has intimately provided the words of the Bible. That should give us some kind of attachment to it just right there. But breathed out. This kind of language we've seen before. Do you remember where we've seen it? We see it at the very beginning of the book, the very beginning of God's Word in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It goes like this. God breathed life into Adam. 
Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. So, just as God created Adam, created us in a very intimate way, gave us life in a way that he didn't anything else, we were his masterpiece, we were his special creation, he breathed life into Adam. In the same way, God breathed these words. So, they don't give, they don't give, he didn't give these words life the same way he gave us, gives us life. Of course not. This Bible's not up walking around on two feet. But it gives these words something extra and special and supernatural. That he breathed these words out, that these words have life in it that no other book has. This book is breathed out by God, and it's not the same as your favorite book. Maybe you have a book that you've read that has impacted you more than just about anything else in life. I've, I talk about C.S. Lewis a lot. A lot of C.S. Lewis's writings have a deep impact on my life. But C.S. Lewis, his books, as good as they are, as impactful as they are, they are not the same as this book. God has done something different here. He has breathed life into these words that is different. And Paul says all Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, the apostles are writing these words. These words of the New Testament were written by apostles or at the feet of apostles, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God. Peter, Apostle Peter, will call God's Word like this. He'll talk about it like this. Now, prophecy is another word for God's Word. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This book is different. And now, what should we expect from a God-breathed book. What should we expect? Well, Paul tells Timothy, he says, you are acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood, which are able to make you wise for salvation. This book is the spoken word of God that invites us into salvation. That's precious. That's precious. Now look, your testimony, you share in your testimony, important, that can point people to Jesus, but your testimony is not called something that will make us wise to salvation. My ideas, my thoughts about God, I think really hard, I can think some right thoughts about God, but if they come from myself, God doesn't say that those can make someone wise to salvation. They might be able to point to Christ, glorify Christ, all those things are good, but this is different. This makes us wise to salvation. We talk about it often at church, don't we? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. So the entire thing from front to back, the exciting parts about David slaying Goliath, the exciting parts in the book of Revelation, and even the names in the Old Testament. That's, I, I'm there in my, my daily Bible study. That's what comes up often. I'm going through those names. I've talked to some of you about that. I go through those names. 
from front to back can make us wise to salvation. Every word points to Jesus. Old Testament, New Testament. The book tells us our, shows us our desperate need for a Savior, how, how desperately wicked our hearts are, how, how broken we are. Front to back, it shows us that. Front to back, we see a gracious God who is slow to anger and patient with sinners and merciful towards sinners. We see from front to back a promised one of God who will make all things right. We see from front to back pointing to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we see a call to repent and believe the good news that faith in Jesus saves. And we see that Jesus is coming back. We see the gospel from front to back. All, every single word of these glorifies Christ and points us to Him. Makes us wise to salvation. Now, the way, the way it's put makes us wise makes us wise to salvation. How do we become wise to salvation? Now sometimes, some of you, maybe, have this experience. At the first time you heard John 3.16, boom, you were saved. Sometimes that might happen. But I think much more likely, we are exposed to the Word of God over time. And that exposure, through that exposure, the Holy Spirit opens our heart to the truth of the Scripture. So makes wise, makes wise, lays the path, lays the groundwork for salvation. Often that happens. Sometimes, sometimes salvation comes like the 82nd Airborne, right? Boom! Lands and there it is. But often, I'd imagine, I'd imagine all of us have been exposed over time to the Word. And the Holy Spirit works over days, months, years, knowing, hearing, until finally we repent and believe. That's probably your story. Makes us wise to salvation. And also, why is this book so important? Because there's also an invitation to righteousness in this life. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Investing in this word will yield a more righteous life. Now, make us wise to salvation, and he puts, you see what he puts after that? Makes us wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Wise salvation through faith, not works. However, this word will also produce righteousness. It'll yield righteousness. I want to be more righteous. You want to be more righteous? I'm tired of sin. I'm sick of my sin. Are you sick of your sin? I'm tired of the way sin treats, uh, I'm tired of the way my sin affects myself and my family. I'm tired of it. I'd love a more righteous life. Where, what does a more righteous life come from? It comes from exposure to the invitation of the spoken word of God to come and live a more righteous life. He says, the word grows us in righteousness this way. It's good for profitable. It yields. It's good for teaching. I think about it like a map, a road map of righteousness. It's good for teaching. He says, reproof. Reproof exposes when we go off the road of righteousness, when we're in the ditch. Reproof, reproof says, get out of the ditch, come back, we, 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 you're in the ditch. Then correction, our directions back to the path. It's like your GPS, right? Recalculating, recalculating, turn right now. You know, those things, correcting us to get us back on the road of righteousness, get out of the ditch, get out of where we're lost in righteousness, get back on the road of righteousness. And then for training in righteousness, as the word is good for training in righteousness, learning how to stay on the highway of righteousness. 
So do you want to mature and grow as a man or woman of God? You want to mature in righteousness? Read the Word. Get into the Word. Get under the Word. And so, since it is true that these words, that this book, that the book you're holding in your hands, since it is true that those words have been breathed out by God and is an invitation to salvation and an invitation to a righteous life now, since that is true, what should a church be about? And what should a pastor be about since that is true? Remember, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a young pastor, early church, one of the first churches in the planet. How do you lead a first church? What should a church be about? So Paul finishes talking about breathed out word by God of God, makes us wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, makes us helps us live a righteous life. So what should we be about? Paul tells this young pastor, he says it like this in fear and trembling. Proclaim what God has said. What should the church be about? Fear and trembling. It's a biblical word. It's a good word. I know that might jostle our heart now, especially as modern Americans. Fear and trembling. But uh, with fear and trembling, knowing how important it is, feeling the weight of that importance, with fear and trembling, proclaim what God has said. Listen to how Paul writes this. He says, I charge you, Chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So, Timothy, God is in your church. God is everywhere. He's in your church. He can hear the things that you're saying. He knows what's going on in your church. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Why, Christ, why, why make that distinction? Well, Christ Jesus, Son of God, second person of the Trinity, is husband to his bride, the church. The church is his body, his beloved church. He died to create the church. So this is not somebody who, who's not invested in the church. He loves the church. In his presence, who, Timothy, who, Trinity, he will be coming back. He will return and judge the living and the dead. And we know Jesus has already told us in Matthew 12, he says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. What do you think about that? That's heavy, right? There's got to be a little bit of fear and trembling there. Not fear like Jesus is going to do something bad or wrong, but fear knowing that's a weighty word from our Savior. He will judge every word that we say. And how much more so, James 3.1 says, for teachers and pastors and preachers, people in authority, will be judged even more harshly. He says it like this in James 3. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So that's Jesus is coming. He cares about his church. He cares about what's being said and what's being taught there. So that weightiness, we need to be feeling that weightiness. He says his coming, right? He might come tomorrow. We, we are running out of time. We need to have that kind of urgency about ourselves at church. In fear and trembling, what should you do, Timothy? Preach the word. Preach the word. Trinity Baptist Church, what should we be about? Proclaiming the word. Timothy, pastor, preacher, what should you be about, Timothy? Preach the word. 
Preach. What do you mean by preach? Well, Paul has already used this word to describe himself. And in the Greek, the idea is this. He, he, he did this at the beginning of the book, of the beginning of the letter of 2 Timothy. He describes himself as a herald. And we translate it preacher. That's what he means by this. Proclaiming, vocalizing. A herald of the word. Remember the herald. You've seen him in movies. Hear ye, hear ye. Thus says the king. That's the idea. That's the idea. Heralds take a message from the king to the people. They unroll that scroll. Hear ye, hear ye. Thus saith the king. Thus saith the Lord. That is what it means to preach. That's what it means to preach. So Timothy, be preaching. Trinity Baptist Church, be about the preaching of the word of God. The heralding of the word of God. So preach. Do what? So this... Because of this, do what? Preach. But what do we preach? Preach. You preach lots of things. I can herald my own ideas. I can herald my own politics. I can herald all kinds of things. What should we be about? What should we be proclaiming? Preach the word. Proclaim the word. The herald's job, his entire job, what he gets paid for, what, his, what he makes his living about, is preaching the word of the king. And so, what do we do with the God-breathed word of God? We proclaim it. On Sunday morning, what are we about? Preachers, what are we about? Deacons, what are we guarding? Church members, what are we looking after and making sure is happening around us? The first and foremost thing is the proclamation of the word. Proclaim the word. Proclaim the word. And my conviction is that the best way to proclaim the word is expository preaching. Expository preaching. That's what I try my best to do. Sometimes, I'm, sometimes I nail it, sometimes I don't. That's just part of me being a sinner. But that's the goal. Expository preaching. Expository preaching makes the point of the passage the point of the sermon. That's what it means. Exposing the point of the sermon. What is, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to us through Paul in 2 Timothy 3 and 4? What's the point of the passage? Now, I know, it's not the only way to preach. I'm not trying to blast anyone who does it differently. I'm not saying that if somebody uses a different style of preaching that people can't be saved. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Because we know that no one is saved by the style of preaching or the greatness of the preacher. The best sermon in the world that's ever been given cannot save unless the Holy Spirit opens a heart. What that also means is the worst sermon in the world can see countless people saved. Because it's not about the preacher. It's about the Holy Spirit working in hearts. So, it's not the only way to preach, but I do believe firmly it is the best way. So, exposing the Word, exposing what the main point is for Paul, we want to make the main points of the sermon. That idea is opposed to a sermon being about, I want to preach on parenting. And then I, I, I have my idea of, this is parenting, this is what I want to get across, and then I bring scripture to support it. But not the worst thing in the world, right? God still uses things like that, it's fine. But since the word of God is God-breathed, and it is making us wise to salvation and leading us in the way of righteousness. Since the Word of God does that, 
The point of the word needs to be the point of the sermons. I think about the first sermon I ever preached. Oh, my word. Talk about, we mentioned the worst sermon in the world right earlier. That was probably one of the worst sermons ever preached in the world. And one of the reasons it was, I came to my first sermon this way. What is the coolest thing I own and what can I bring up on stage with me so that people will be excited about my sermon? And I had this, I've told you before, this piece of heavy petrified wood. And I said, I'm going to make a sermon about this. And I, I put passages in and, and there we go. And everybody thought it was great and it was good. And now I've come to realize that, that was one of the worst sermons that ever preached because my conviction is it wasn't expository preaching. Could God use it? Sure. But there's a better way to do it. There's a better way to handle the Word of God. So, then the question for pastors is, what, sh what, should, what should happen to heralds who bring and say, Hear ye, hear ye, because that's what we're doing. Every, every time we get up on Sunday morning and we proclaim the Word, every time you listen to it, we're saying, Hear ye, hear ye, this is what God says. Now, what should happen to, or, or how should this make us feel when a herald says, Thus saith the Lord, and then I, maybe I'll tweak it just a little bit. Would a herald ever do that 2,000 years ago? No, he might lose his head if the king knows he's doing that, changing the words of the king. What if he adds to it? What if I'll read it, and then I'll, I'll just add some extra stuff. No, I don't want to add extra stuff. You want to hear what the king says. What if I take away from it? What if I'm reading this and then I skip a verse because it's going to be too controversial? No, the king expects the herald to say everything. What if we make the what if the herald gets up and, and proclaims, let's say it the Lord, and the whole thing is just from his ideas or his politics or his philosophy? No, you don't want to hear that. The king is not going to be happy with that. And so the idea is to minimize the preacher. And to maximize the word. Preach, Timothy, in the sight of the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, and knowing that he will come and judge the living and the dead, including pastors, and pastors will be judged more strictly, James 3, 1, and we'll all give an account for everything that we say, Matthew. Since that is the case, and since we have the breathed out word of God that makes wise for salvation and makes us, trains us in righteousness, since that is the case, Preach the Word. How? How do we preach the Word? Verse 2, we'll read it again. And say it this way with me in your brain or say it out loud. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. How do we preach the Word? In season and out of season. Whether people are wanting to listen or not. Whether people are willing to listen and learn or not. Preach the word. Jesus tells the parable of right? the sower. You remember this? The word of God. The farmer comes and he has all this seed and he walks, he walks through his field and he takes it and he casts it out. He casts it out. He casts it out. And this is even a more clear picture. And it adds a little bit of extra flavor to that parable. We do that in the winter in the summer, in the spring, and in the fall. Preach the word in season and out of season. And Jesus says, you preach the word to hearts, and the soil is the hearts. And some hearts are going to be too hard. It's going to be like the path, and the, the Satan's going to come like birds and scoop the seed up. And some seed's going to fall into shallow, rocky soil, and it's not going to, it's not going to implant into hearts. And the word is going to fall into uh, soil with thorns, and the thorns are going to squeeze out the young plants. That's the word. And some of the word is going to fall on good soil. But he says, 
pastors, preachers preach the word in season and out of season. So that takes a lot of weight off of me because my, my job is not to make sure that seed falls into your heart in the right way. My job is to cast the seed. It is the job of the heart. It's the job of the soil. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to make sure that the word that is proclaimed finds appropriate soil. That takes a lot of pressure off of me. I'm very thankful for that parable. Very thankful for that parable. In season and out of season, people just aren't listening. People just aren't responding. People don't, don't want a sermon out of the book of Numbers. You know, all of those things will preach the word in season, out of season. He says, confront, rebuke, exhort. Preach the word. Confront, rebuke, exhort. Confront with the word. Goes back to what we talked about in righteousness. You're in the ditch. Preach the word. You're in the ditch. Rebuke. Rebuke what contradicts. Get out of the ditch. Come back to the road of righteousness and exhort, pleading for an appropriate response. Preach the word. Confront, rebuke, exhort. Now the nice thing about expository preaching is that happens naturally and it's not on the pastor. It's not on the pastor that I can say, hey, I... 2 Timothy 3 and 4, I'm doing the best that I can to present the point of the passage to you. And I, I read commentaries of other believers throughout the centuries who have talked about this. And I try to let that be my guardrails. I don't want to go over the guard. I want to, I want to do the best I can to present this. This is what the Lord says. And when I do that, the Word confronts and rebukes and exhorts. You don't want me confronting you. Who am I? See, the, the good thing about expository preaching is the Word is let loose. The Word is let loose. And it's not the preacher that is ultimately responsible for rebuke. The origin of that is not in the preacher's righteousness or pride or, or trying to come at you or, or trying to step on your toes. No, that's the Word. It's the Word. If we make the point of the passage the point of the sermon... It's really not the pastor stepping on anybody's toes. It's the Word. It's the Word. He says, preach the Word with complete teaching and complete patience. It's the way the original language is, is set. That's how I understand it. Complete teaching and complete patience. Complete teaching. What does that mean? We have, this is what we herald. Thus saith the Lord. Sometimes we'll be in 2 Timothy. Sometimes we, we herald out of 2 Samuel. Sometimes we herald out of Numbers. We herald. That's what, all of this is the Word. We, we, we herald, we preach the Word with complete teaching. The whole counsel of God. That's, that's the idea. That's the hope. That'll take a long time. Many Sundays sitting in the seats to get through the whole counsel of God. But that's what we want. It's all precious. All God-breathed. And... We hit on difficult passages and topics. We don't say, well, I'm going to talk on gossip, and that guy Jordan Hodges has been gossip, gossiping like crazy, but he's a good tither, and so I'm going to skip that part because I don't want him to, to feel like we're stepping on his toe. No, he says, the complete word. And that's another thing that's nice about expository preaching. The way 
the way I, I try to do it is I try to, to prayerfully plan out a year of preaching. Sometimes it works great. So, you know, sometimes I'm on it uh, imperfectly as I am, but that's the idea. We, we plan this out prayerfully. I can't tell you how many times uh, I have something planned for eight months and then something happens in the church and that sermon hits exactly what the church is going through that week. It's amazing how God does that. But again, we expository preaching, making the point of the passage, the point of the sermon, lets God work in that way where the pastor can go, hey, this, this is something that's been on the books for six months, for eight months, or this is what I've been planning for a while. I said, and again, I do it. I'm not a perfect pastor. Good for goodness sake, you've sat under enough of my sermons. You know I'm not a perfect preacher, a perfect pastor. And my honeymoon's over. I've been here for four years, over four years now. You know, you know. So I don't do that perfectly, but that's the goal. That's the goal. Complete teaching and complete patience. So preaching the word takes time. It takes time. I know, we're in a culture we're attracted to glitz and glamour, and we're a soundbite culture, right? We're a, however many, how many characters are in Twitter, on, you can do on Twitter. Now, we're in a 140 characters on Twitter type of world, right? If you're a politician, you've got to have Twitter, you've got to have tweets out there, those little bitty soundbites for people. That's what you've got to do now to reach people. We're, we're about memorable moments and emotional swells. But preaching the word takes time. Not just time on a Sunday morning, although it does. To expose the point of these passages does take time on a Sunday morning, but it also takes time over a long period of time taking in the Word of God that's being proclaimed. And so, memorable moments are not a bad thing in sermons. Emotional swells are not a bad thing. Those are good things, but those are not the point. Those aren't the point. Those should not be something that we seek out as normative. Meaning, if we're not feeling certain things in church every single week, then something's wrong. That doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily the case. It takes patience. And you know this. If you've been in church long enough, you know this. We see in God's Word, patience, endurance, long-suffering. Those things are some of them are called fruits of the Spirit. All of them are commanded of God's people. This is how God works in us, long term. I've heard a pastor say it like this. I think this is, this is really powerful. Really, I think this is right. He says, sermons are like meals. You will only remember a handful of meals you've ever eaten, but those meals have kept you alive. And that's the same way. And that can go to prayer life and daily devotional life and all these things. And it's also true of the preaching of God's Word. That we're not meant to remember every single sermon that's been preached. But what it's meant to do is these things are meant to keep us healthy and alive and growing. God works through the proclamation of His Word in that way. You, maybe you've, you remember uh, the pennies that... We, we, did, we dumped 30,000 pennies uh, during a sermon to symbolize the 30,000 
unchurched people within 10 miles of our church. You remember that? You probably remember that. That's a, that's what I remember that. I don't remember all my sermons. But I remember that one. And that's okay to remember those things. But we also thank God for the sermons, that, the, man, I don't know, hundreds of sermons I heard growing up in my home church. I couldn't remember after 18 years of sitting under my father's preaching, I couldn't tell you one single sermon that he preached. But they kept me alive. And I was saved under his preaching. That's powerful. Patience. Complete patience. We are trees. I think John Piper says this. We are trees planted by streams of water, drinking at the root, drinking, 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 until the branches bear fruit. We sit under the word as it is proclaimed. We drink and we drink and we drink until the Holy Spirit bears fruit. So why? Why does Paul tell Timothy, as he's leading a church, he's telling Timothy, and so he's also telling a church, right? Why does he tell Timothy, preach the word? There's lots of reasons. We've gone through some of them. But why does he tell him this in particular? It says, I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and by His kingdom, preach the word, in verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate, they will gather, they will collect for themselves teachers to suit their own lusts, and will turn away. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Timothy was dealing with a church that was already, I mean, it just the church just was created. I mean, we're talking, Trinity is much older than, than Timothy's church. Been around, much more mature, older Christians in Trinity. And we've been around for a long time. And already, Paul is telling Timothy, hey, the gathering storm is coming where your people in these churches will not endure sound teaching. They will wander off. They will collect, like gather, like put in their pocket. False teachers, other teachers that tell them what they want to hear. And when they listen to these teachers, they collect them. They're going to wander off away from the truth into myths. In your church, Timothy. So he says, preach the word for a time is coming. Listen, don't put it in context. What is Paul trying to say? He's writing to a pastor about a church Proclaiming, preaching the word. These are people in the church. These are proclaiming Christians. These are not non-believers that we're talking about. Don't shove that off on non-believers saying, well, they're not going to listen. They're going to wander off into myths. They're already in myths. Non-believers are already in rebellion towards God. Are still haters of God like we used to be. They don't want to hear from God. They don't care what the, what the king says. They're already in myths. They're, they're not wandering away from the truth. They're, they're gone. They don't want the truth. So this is not about non-believers. This is about believers in the church not being willing to endure sound teaching, but hearing tickling ears of false teachers over here or, or over there. They follow them. They will not endure sound or healthy teaching. And they don't cast away teaching in the church altogether. They cast away sound teaching and they follow unsound, unhealthy teaching. They will collect teachers 
that feel good to their itching ears, that scratch where they're wanting to hear, that feel good to their passions or lusts. Other translations say lusts. Therefore, Timothy and church members, as we sit under preaching and teaching of the Word, understand that it's not always supposed to feel good. That we're not supposed to all of our itching ears, all of our desires, all of our passions and lusts are not supposed to be met and satisfied. So, understand, if you're loving everything that comes from the pulpit, the pastor is not doing his job. Now, I, I get it. Your pastor's not perfect. Your preacher's not perfect. All that stuff. But if, if, you're, if you're able to sit back and go, man, this feels good. Week after week after week after week after week, the Word of God is not being proclaimed. Because we've already seen the Word of God is good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, reproof, all these things. It doesn't feel good to be rebuked. And as long as we understand and remember that we're still sinners, the preaching of God's Word is going to call us to repentance and correct us. It does so for our good, and because it lo- the word God, because God loves us, but but we should expect those things. We should expect those things. And they're going to turn away from truth, and wander off into myths, untruths, and false religion. We have we have that tendency. We can feel that, can't we? Wandering off, like the like the beautiful hymn said, "Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love." That's in us. We. We're tempted to wander off into myths, untruths. We're tempted to, here's the truth, here's the word of God being proclaimed. And we're tempted to wander off uh, itching ears and, and away from this and then into myths. Interesting you said it like that, myths. What are some of our modern myths that we might wander off in as Christians? Some of the things that I'm tempted of to wander into is self-righteousness or the flip side of that, or believing that a Christian can live however he wants and sin doesn't really matter for a Christian anymore. Those are two myths. Self-righteousness saves us. I'm better than people. That's a myth. Wandering off away from the truth. Or doesn't matter how a Christian lives his life. Those are modern myths. All kinds of modern You can name a hundred of them right now. I'm sure you're thinking of some of them. Modern, wandering off modern myths. Self-righteousness, politics, um, all the social issues concerning marriage and abortion and all those things. All those things. And the bottom line is we don't have time for myths. Do we? We don't have time for myths. Jesus is coming. And if, if He doesn't come... In the next several decades, if God allows me to live long enough, I will go to Him. I'm running out of time. It could be tomorrow. We don't have time for myths. We don't have time to lollygag about the Word of God and what God has proclaimed through His Word. We don't have time. We have, we have loved ones who are lost. We have neighbors who are lost. We have a community of tens of thousands of people who will not darken the door of a church. And so we should assume that they don't know the good news of Jesus. We don't have time. So we proclaim. We proclaim. 
And so what is the best defense against men, women, and children in the church wandering away from the faith? What's the best defense against, against itching ears, false teachers? What's the best defense for when, Timothy, that that'll happen in a month? Paul said, Timothy, this coming in a month, what's the best defense? Preach the word 10 years ago. That's the best defense. It says, preach the word for a time is coming. We preach the word now, even when it doesn't seem like our church is wandering off into myths and there's not a false teacher that's risen up in Trinity Baptist Church and all these things. But if we preach the word now in, in this way, that will defend against these things. That will defend against people wandering off to see the word. The Word of God is so precious. The God-breathed Word that gives life and makes us wise to salvation and calls us to righteousness. There's something different in there, supernatural, that calls believers and, and, and is magnetized that believers rush to it and can't get away from. So let's preach it. And when we preach it, that guards us against all these things that can shipwreck our faith or pull, pull people in our church that are close to the gospel, can pull them. They're non-believers are close to the gospel. They might be pulled away. We preach the Word. That just says the Word is powerful. The Word is, that shows how powerful God's Word is. That shows how sufficient God's Word is. We don't need anything extra. We don't need anything extra for, to make us wise for salvation or to show us how to live a godly life now. We don't need anything extra. This is it right here. Proclaiming this and the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart to do the rest. It's powerful. It's powerful. Spurgeon talks about the power of God's Word and he says something like this. God's Word doesn't need me to defend it. It's like the, it's, God's Word is like a lion in a cage. Open the door to the cage and the lion will defend itself. And that good news, the Word of God doesn't need me, doesn't need you, doesn't need anything else to be powerful, to change lives, to show people that they need Jesus, to call people to repentance. The Word of God doesn't need anything else. What it needs is to be let out to be proclaimed. And God will use it. So that is our prayer. That's our prayer, that as we gather on Sunday morning as the Word is proclaimed, that we let it out. And we know that God has promised that His Word will never come back empty, will always hit its mark, will always defend itself. Always defend itself. Well, we love you we love you. We're excited. Um, we're excited about uh, what God is doing in, in Trinity. Uh, we're excited about the encouragement that you have been um, to the leadership of this church. We're excited about the perseverance that you've shown through this last year. And we're excited what God is going to do in the future. And we can't wait. Uh, we can't wait to see what he's going to do. We love you. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is powerful. Father, we pray that Trinity Baptist Church is known for letting the word out, for proclaiming the word with truth and love and letting the word do what you've promised that it will do. Father, we thank you that you have blessed our church and you continue to bless our church. Father, we know that you are with us, that you're here. And Father, we pray that you continue to guide us. 
Father, we pray that you give us unity and a love for one another. Father, we pray that we proclaim the word clearly and as best we can. Father, we pray for, that the, we pray for the word that is, that is discussed, that's going to be discussed in small groups in Sunday school and with our kids. And for, for the next 50 years, Father, may we proclaim the word now to guard against our loved ones or our neighbors wandering off into myths, but may they hear the word, the God-breathed word, and may they be made wise to salvation and wise to righteousness. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.